The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. My guest this morning is Attorney James Burke. Knowing Jim, I anticipate this show will be as entertaining as well as educational. Uh, Jim served at N- NYPD for 20 years, and he achieved the rank of detective sergeant there. With NYPD, he served as an investigator, a supervisor, a squad commander, and he worked in the narcotics division, the detective bureau, and the organized crime control bureau. He completed his police career as the lead trial attorney in the New York PD Civil Enforcement Unit, where he tried nine cases to verdict. Then he graduated from Manhattan College with a BA and then received his JD from Fordham University School of Law. He's a member of the New York Bar Association. And then he joined the firm of Wilson Elser in 2002. He's a partner there in the White Plains, New York office. There he's handled more than 25 cases at trial as the lead attorney. So Jim's Practice focuses on general and product liability, pediatric lead poisoning, medical malpractice, labor law, and premises liability. He also has vast experience in the defense of security guards accused of excessive force and claims that security guards have failed to act to prevent injuries while providing guard services. But Jim is not here to discuss law this morning. He's going to challenge us all to only believe half of what we hear. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Francie. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I'm glad to be here. Well, as you can imagine, uh, for our listeners, conducting investigations through interviewing witnesses sometimes produce unpredictable situations for both attorneys and private investigators that are involved in litigation. They sure do. (laughs) They they may omit, what, critical information. They may lack personal knowledge. They may disclose pertinent particulars that have no merit at all, but the person wants the interviewer to hear from them. That's correct. And then they often just want to please the person that's conducting the interview. So it's up to the investigator and ultimately the attorney to ferret out exactly what the witness knows or doesn't know. Very, very true. So, Jim, you're going to discuss situations where an attorney and an investigator or a case can be negatively impacted by a tainted witness? Yes, I am. Okay, and you're going to tell us how to avoid running into that, right? Absolutely. That's that's why we're here. Okay. Tell us first, though, I know people will be interested in this. Tell us a little bit about your career at NYPD and how you decided to go from there to law school. Well, it's funny, uh, Francie, uh, whenever uh, I talk to anybody about what I've done with my career, I start out by saying that I stand before you as a college dropout. 
And I, I say that with a with a, almost a sense of pride because I left college uh, to join the New York City Police Department, which was really what I wanted to do when I was a young fella. And uh, I wanted to pursue that career, and, and I did. And I finished college at night. I thought that that was always ex- important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got my degree from Manhattan College. And a few years later, I, I decided that I uh, wanted to go to law school. One of the reasons being is, is that I, I like to feel I was a very active police officer. I was in court a lot. I testified in many, many cases, including several homicide trials. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to know a lot of district attorneys along the way. And I was sort of fascinated by the work that they did. And do so. Um, going to law school uh, as a night as a night student was something that was a little difficult along the way, but but I did it, and I'm, I'm I was glad I did, and it opened up a lot of different avenues for me. Um, while I was in the police department, most of my time was spent, as you said in the introduction, in a lot of the investigative branches of the department. I spent uh, nine years in the narcotics division. Uh, which uh, we investigated cases of the highest level international drug traffickers all the way down to a lot of cases of buy and bust on the street and everything in between. Mm -hmm. I think I must have been on the execution of about easily 300 search warrants uh, where we took out crack houses and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And after that, I also spent a significant amount of time in the police department's detective bureau where I caught and investigated homicides and robberies and other, other such cases. Um, after I had, uh, finished law school and a little other time went by, I, um, I found my way down to the police department's legal division, which is sort of like a, a very large in-house counsel operation. We actually had about 85 lawyers and it was necessary because the, the New York city police department, it's almost like a small army. There's, uh, at, in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands, there were 40, over 40,000 uniformed members of the service and about 15,000 civilians. And uh, the city was always, it's always been a very active place. And, and so there was always a lot of legal issues that come up. Interesting. And um, I like to feel, and I, I think, you know, you and I have known each other for a while, and I'm a sort of forward, take charge person. So uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, civil enforcement became a very big law enforcement tool where we not only arrested people, but we went, a- we went after assets. And so we got involved in the seizure of homes and boats and cars and cash and things like that. And, um, and, and for civil forfeiture, many of those cases ended up being contested and they needed a lawyer uh, sure. who was willing to try those cases. And I stood up and said I wasn't. So I took several verdicts in my last couple of years as the plaintiff's attorney for the police department. And then from there, when my time came up for retirement, I left and found my way to Wilson-Elser, where I found a happy home for the last nine years. <laughs> I, try, I do nothing but try cases for Wilson-Elser, and they made me a partner a couple of years ago, and I, I enjoy it greatly. That's a, what, a, what a great story. I, that's a great story. And, you know, it, um, it sounds like, because I'm not familiar with the civil division of the police department, is that unique to New York? Um I, I don't know that it's exactly unique, but I don't think I, I believe there's nothing that has the same scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will tell you that the civil enforcement division, in my humble view, and really there's nothing really humble about me. <laughs> <laughs> but in my humble view, I, 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 I saw I can tell you, Francie, that I believe that the civil enforcement component in law enforcement in New York City, where we seized cars and boats and homes and things like that had such a tremendous effect in the turnaround in the crime rate in New York City, much more so than a lot of other programs did. And I got to tell you, it's the funniest thing, but it's true. 
Uh, let's just take a common example of drunk driving. Mm-hmm. You could lock people up, arrest them for drunk driving ad nauseum multiple times, and, and they get somewhat of, they get whatever charge they get in criminal court, and they could care less. But if you take their car away from them, they become livid, and they sort of get religion after you do it. Right. And right. Uh, the, uh, the similarly, what happened was, was uh, we saw with street prostitution cases in New York, where we had locations, Hunts Point in the Bronx, which was a major trucking hub, was one of them where for, for literally for generations, there were, there were at any given time 100 plus prostitutes walking out on the street in Hunts Point soliciting. And we used to go by with buses to pick them up off really? the street, take them, arrest them by the hundreds, and it had no effect at all. Um, but when we started seizing the cars of the so-called Johns, the people that were, that were uh, right. patronizing the prostitutes, and we, we seized them, we took the civil forfeiture against them, it cured the problem nearly overnight. And you can imagine that, you know, the person who, say, lives in one of the Tony suburbs of New York or in Connecticut, mm-hmm. uh, who no longer has a car and has to go home and tell their significant right. other that some story like their car got stolen – and then you, you know, they get a call from the police department saying, we have your car. And they said, well, you know, I'm going to fight that. And they said, okay, listen, um, maybe sometime when you're at work, we'll go and serve a summons and complaints. We'll serve your wife because she's home. <laughs> You'll find out what went on. Really? That's going to take longer than that. Believe yeah. me, it had, it had the desired effect. So yeah. from that, an entire program developed. And it was extraordinarily successful. And on the street narcotics side of the equation, um, when we started taking away the buildings and the apartment houses that were used as stash houses and jump off locations uh, for street narcotics dealers, um, it cured the problem nearly overnight as well. For example, 42nd Street, New York, which is now, you know, between the Times Square area of New York, which is now a tourist attraction. They have multiple theaters where Disney productions are are being uh, held, and it's uh, it's a mecca now. Mm-hmm. If you went back 15 years ago, it was an absolute sewer. It was really? terrible. Uh, it was one of the worst places in the world, and one of the reasons it was that way is despite the enforcement of the criminal laws on the street, um, there were so many of these what we would call flea bag hotels or SROs that were around the area where drug dealers would be able to store stashes and be able to re-up their money and re-up their amounts and come in and out, Wait a minute, Jim. What's an SRO? What's yeah, SRO stand for? We took for? the SROs and, and those hotels away from the landlords. But what is that? What is an SRO? A single room occupancy. Single, it's, uh, okay. All right. Okay. Where they would take an apartment or a, or a hotel room and like subdivide it several times so that one person could live there. But mm-hmm. these, these ended up being, in a sense, drug warehouses. And we took them away. So I was on the, I was on the lead end of that as a plaintiff's attorney for the police department. Uh, when these cases were, were contested and we, uh, we took jury verdicts and, and we, we won in many of the cases. Fascinating. That's fascinating. I've never, I've never heard of that process before. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's great. And I can't imagine how difficult it must have been to go to law school and serve full time at the police department. That well, must have been amazing. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was a lot, uh, you know, and the uh, the police department is, is a demanding career in itself, not not only so much because of whatever the stresses that are involved in Arabis, but the time component in police work is is hard because you really never know when you're going to be working, particularly if you're in a unit like the narcotics division or the organized crime control bureau, because you've got to be available 
to, to change 24 mm-hmm. seven, uh, in regards to where you would find, you know, conditions as they develop and, and you still have to be able to go to school. And, um, and, and I, I did do it. Uh, I don't know that I, I don't know now that I'm pushing 50 years old that I would be able to do it again. But at the time I was in my early thirties and, you know, that was then and this is now. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm sure you could with your energy. I'm sure you could do it. Well, Today we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, and we're going to go to a break here shortly, but we want to talk a little bit about um, tainted cases. And you have yeah. some some amazing examples yeah. um, that you and I talked about uh, a few months ago that I thought was were just fascinating. I think that applies to not only anybody that does um, investigations like I do or attorneys that are litigators, but to the public at large because they're often witnesses as well. Sure. So um, why don't you – I'm going to have to interrupt you, but why don't you go ahead and, and start that, and then we're going to take a break in a couple minutes. Sure, Francie. Well, one of the things I wanted to stress is that uh, the point of us talking about the believe, you know, only a half of what you hear, is that, um, you know, we often confront, whether you're an investigator or you're a lawyer, you, you, you confront witnesses uh, you find you spend effort to find witnesses in a, in a case, uh, particularly a serious one, and and sometimes you come across that one witness who you feel is the the quote unquote the Rosetta Stone, the person who has come up with the testimony that just turns the case so much in your favor. Um, you know, it could be a criminal case, mm-hmm. uh, or it could be a civil case where there's a witness that comes along that completely. Um, refutes either the, the liability uh, side of the equation, you know, uh, be it an automobile case, a slip and fall, a security guard liability case, uh, or you have something that comes along that just a uh, witness who just completely changes the damage perspective of a case, uh, you know, says that a person was, you know, unconscious and, and never experienced, clearly didn't experience conscious pain and suffering. And this person comes along and tells you this and you could be, you'd be tempted to say, wow, that's it. The case is over. Uh, it's all in my favor. There's nothing more to talk about. And uh, for, for those who come across that situation, I, I have a very large cautionary note. Okay, hold that thought. Hold that cautionary note, Jim. Okay, don't go away. Okay. Attorney, Attorney James Burke, and I'll be right back. Great. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. 
NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Jim Burke is a litigator and a former NYPD detective sergeant. He's illustrating for us how cases can unwittingly be tainted by the most conscientious witness. So, uh, Jim, I interrupted you. Take it from there. Okay. Well, as, as I said, Francie, we, when we left off, we were talking about having a cautionary note. When you find yourself in a serious case, be it criminal or civil, and you found that witness who is the Rosetta Stone to your case, and, and that's the cautionary note, I like to preface that with a little background is that, you know, it's important to understand our job from the perspective of the person who we find, our witness, the person who's turned it up, and not look at things so much from our own perspective, which is our natural reaction. You know, we're all egotistical in our own way. And, 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 and I think it's important to understand that even with the most sophisticated person, they look at attorneys they look at private investigators as sort of adjunctive people, as people that are associated with government, as mm-hmm. people that are associated with authority. And that, then, and that makes people frightened. And, you know, we all have a certain tendency uh, as part of our personality to sort of kick problems down the road a little bit, to, to want things to go away. And, and, and one thing that comes up, particularly for attorneys, I would like to say, is that we can be kind. We can often become a little bit self-important. I know that's shocking when someone might say that an attorney would think he was self-important, but it happens. And um, and so you're dealing with people often who you think you might think that you know better than they do, but it's not the case. People are intuitive. I can tell you that I've picked dozens of dozens and dozens of juries. 
I've been dealing with witnesses for 30 years of my professional life, and they start sizing you up from the minute they see you, from the minute they look out the window and they see somebody getting out of a car to knock on their door, or they get they get the heads up, or there's a whistle on, you know, back in the days uh, when I was on the street in the narcotics division, I mean, you'd pull onto a corner where you where you obviously stuck out as a cop, and the whistles and the, the calling would start immediately, you were coming down the street, everybody knew you were there, right. okay, no secrets there. Um, so, you know, people tell you what you want to hear and people are intuitive and they sort of, you could be in a situation where you could scratch your head and say, well, I didn't really tell this person all that much about the case, but they've already figured out what the right answer is. And I would like to amplify that, uh, by saying in, um, in the most sincere way that, you know, as Francie, as you and I have discussed, look, America, the land of opportunity, we're a, we're a nation of immigrants, okay? Exactly. And we have people, particularly in our urban areas, our inner city areas, that come from all parts of this world, all right? And many of them are involved in working in, you know, in, in these day-to-day sort of grind jobs that, that uh, you know, they're working as, as cooks in, in, in restaurants and drivers of delivery trucks and and cab drivers and things along those lines. And you have to understand that that the people who come to this country often come from places where the governments are entirely corrupt and completely authoritarian. Mm -hmm. And um, and so when a person survives that even long enough to come here, that's saying something about their resilience. That says something about their their ability to read a situation. You know, if you grow up in one of these countries um, that 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 has one of these sort of dictatorship situations going on, I can tell you that the worst thing that you can tell a government official is the truth. You better not do that, because if you do, you might find yourself in a very bad way. So you learn to tell people who are in positions of authority Mm -hmm. what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. And you begin to figure out very quickly just what that thing is. and we've got to be so careful about that because as attorneys, we have to report to our clients. As investigators, you've got to report to the, to the attorneys or the people that you're working for about what you've got, and they're going to rely on it. And so when you have one of these witnesses that comes along and tells you that, that gives you the key to the case, you have better hit that rock twice. You better do a background check on it. You better find out what this person's about. And And I have to tell you that you have to – you have to go back. You have to get the person, once you find the person, which can be difficult enough as it is, mm-hmm. and this is where the synergy, I believe, comes between the private investigator and the lawyer, is that you're working together as a team and that you're analyzing things together as a team. You're not working in separate spheres, okay? Correct. Where the, wor- the worst situation, I-, I hate the situation, is, and, and, is that, you know, if you have a situation where, there isn't clear communication between the attorney and vice versa going both ways. And it sort of becomes just job specific, like go there, find this person, see if they live there. And there's no and factor. And so you find it, you get a statement, the statement goes back. But the, the analysis has to be there with, by the attorney and by the investigator together. Is this person credible? Is this person just blowing smoke at us? And so you get the statement, of course, you you do what you have to do. You, you try to get a written statement from somebody, but then you go out and do more homework and then you try to find out other things. And then you go back and you go back again because that's the cure. And so 
you know, as I said, as I said earlier, if you think people that grow up in this country who have who have, you know, maybe some degree of sophistication associate lawyers and investigators with adjuncts of the government, you can just imagine a poor person living in an inner city who takes a look at a lawyer who's coming along to talk to them or or a person's brought to a lawyer's office for a deposition or a private investigator comes and knocks on a person's door um, and you're intrude and you know you're you know it's our business but you're intruding on someone's life they, well they, yeah and, and they've spent their they've spent their whole lives in whatever company they came from um, surviving absolutely this is the way they survived right and and sometimes the way to survive you know is just as I said earlier to kick the can down the road. You know, you tell somebody, yes, you, you think you know what the right answer is as that person because you're just praying that they go away and that they don't come back. You and know? it's really that that street sense, that street awareness that people have that we that we know that when when people are out in the inner city and living on the streets, they recognize things way before the rest of us do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what I say, Francie. That goes back before where as investigators and attorneys. We always have, you know, we should be questioning ourselves more sometimes, more so than when we're questioning the witnesses, because we have to look at the information that we're getting through, try to look at it through the prism Mm -hmm. of the person who's giving it to us. Exactly. And what are their objectives? And most of the time their objective, I have to tell you, is, you know, just please go away. Please don't bother me with this. It was bad enough what happened. Now I have to deal with you. I wish I never saw the thing. But I did, and now you found me. What can I do to make you? You know, the person most of the time is looking at from the position again, a per, particularly a person whose experiences in life have not been that kind when they deal with officials. Is you know, they're looking at through the prism is what can I do to make this person leave my life? Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. You, you know? know, I had a I had a situation, and the and these were um, folks from Laotia, yeah, uh, from that area of the world, and. Yeah. When the witness was interviewed by the police, he said yes to everything they asked him. Yes, yes, yes. And of course, so every, so you can imagine things got very much misinterpreted. And because he was afraid to say anything else, but yes. Right. And so they, so unfortunately for the police department, they ended, ended up with a witness that they thought it was exactly like what you say. And it wasn't. Right. It came right down to it. Right. And, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, and if you're on the if you're on the other side of that, you're if you know, if, if you were a, a private investigator who's, you know, working on the on the on the, the criminal defense side of it, I think then that cautionary note can be something that you use, you know, to help you. And that sometimes, you know, the case could be presented to you when you're looking at that's like, wow, they got this witness that says this, that that must be it. The case is sewed up in a bag for them. And. And uh, and there's really nothing to do for the client here, but it might not be true. Exactly, exactly. You know? It might not be true at all. So you know, you've got to, you know, it's, there's there's a lot that goes on in, in popular talk today, and and it's true. You sort of have to look at things. I guess the current word is holistically. You right. know, you got to look at the entire situation from 360 degrees, and not just on a on a flat plane. And and that I, I firmly believe that. And and what I would like to do is at some point. You know, when we're having our discussion today is I could point to a couple of case studies where this is where this very situation has happened to me. And 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 I, I, you know, did even my level best with the experiences I've had in my life and 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 the cautions that I've taken and knowing that that's out there. And yet it still occurs. Sure. So 
Uh, yes, and, and absolutely we want to do that. Um, we're going to take a, a break in just a minute, but do you have um, – and now you said to go back several times. Absolutely. Now, now that's, of course, if you, if you have a budget to do that. Right. It, it's, listen, we all have to deal with the cases in the financial realities of what we have. I mean, not every client that hires my firm is going to pay to, to, to send an attorney out to do things. There are some times you don't want to send an attorney to do things because you could become a witness in your own case. Let's talk and, about that, too. Right. And there are some times that, you know, they, they only want to have they only want to pay for the investigator to go do that thing, which I said before, the sort of lockstep plan of view is, OK, the investigator's assignment is to go to this location, knock on the door, see if the person's there and get a statement. Well, that, you know, that might be the financial reality you're dealing with. But what you got to try then is to get across to those who are going to be financially responsible for your services, whether it's an investigator and you're being paid by a private client or by, you know, what we would call in New York, the AT&B panel or in California, it might be a public defenders kind of thing. Right. Or, or here with my client is to be able to get back to the client and make the case to them about why additional services are needed because right. they could be selling themselves short. And then you could get a statement from a person and then look, look, you could go back and say, look, this is what the person said. And then the, and they get all excited and you think, oh, wow, you know, the, the case is good for them. Well, you better watch out. That's you know, right. You really, okay. you really better watch out because I can tell you from experience that it can change and it can change very badly. OK. More about free trial interviews with Attorney Jim Burke in a moment. Jim, you can give your your illustrations when we come back. We'll be right back. Great. OK. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call one 800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. News. 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 News.
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today, Attorney James Burke, is talking about the pitfalls involved in interviewing witnesses in preparation for litigation. And, Jim, you've got some great examples of how yeah. this can play out. Yeah. I'd, li- I'd like to give a couple examples. There are, there are so many, but here's two that come right to mind. Um, there's, there's one here where I'm, we'll deal with the liability side of the equation. For those you're not, not you know, into the legal world, that's – in any civil litigation, you know, there's the liability or what's called the fault side of the equation. And then there's the damages, what the, you know, what the case is worth if there is fault found. Mm-hmm. And I had this case where I was representing a, a, a steel manufacturing company. And they, they, they were a manuf- they, they produced something uh, that's uh, like a, a stepladder kind of thing that's used in a lot of, a lot of stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was an accident that happened in a in a big box retailing store, where a worker in um, a worker in that store was up on this device manufactured by my client, and another worker who was a supervisor was pulling a very heavy pallet jack, and he was going down the aisle and he knocked into the thing that the uh, the worker was up on, and then the worker fell off that and uh, he fell down to the ground. He claimed he was terribly injured and all that kind of good stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, the litigation went on for quite a while, and we didn't have the case from the beginning. This was a case that was transferred to me as it got close to trial from another firm, which which does happen. Uh, and And one of the things that came up is, like, nobody ever found this witness, the guy that ended up pulling the pallet jack. It sort of, the thing happened in 2003 and now it was like 2007, 2008 hmm. and, and nobody ever found this guy. So as soon as I got the case, you know, genius that I am, I figured, all right, someone's <laughs> got to get this guy. Right. So, um, you know, promote him to detective first grade. So anyway, <laughs> I set about, I got one of, I got one, an investigator who I use, who was, who's a great guy. And, and we, we located the guy, we located him in Houston, Texas. And, uh, and so we got him on the phone and he told a story that completely defeated the liability portion of the plaintiff's claim. It had to do with whether or not the person was standing on a platform of this device or whether he was actually on the, on the ladder going up to it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, he tells the investigator on the phone and it's reported to me that the, the, the person who claims he fell was never on that platform at all. This is a products liability case. Um, and the plaintiff was claiming that there should have been some safety device up on that top platform that would have prevented him from falling, right? So the witness says, no, he was never up there at all. He was actually just on the stairs in the middle of it. He may have been going up there. He may have been not. And then he tells something more. He says, on top of that, he says, the guy never deployed the brakes on the thing. And what he was doing, he was actually pulling himself along. Instead of moving the thing and then putting the brake on, he was he was moving this device and kind of pulling himself along the shelf to save time. Well, I mean, that's a that's a that's devastating huge. statement. Yeah. Right. 
Right. And because it takes the whole product's liability equation away because the guy wasn't even in the place he claimed to have fallen. He is an eyewitness. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this guy's got nothing to lose. Um, he's not he's not involved in the litigation one way or another. He doesn't even work for the people anymore. Hmm. But, of course, my suspicions were a little bit arised. So I said, all right. I called up my client and I said I gave I got my client's permission to actually fly my investigator down to Texas to 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 look this guy in the eye and to do a, to do a background check on him and everything. And we did, we did and it all checked out and it was reported back to me and it said, well, you know, he looks good. Now, he was an example of a person that as I said earlier, he had come from another country to to the United States. He was a fairly educated man. In fact, he was an engineer. Hmm. Um and uh he looked good, he spoke well. And it all checked out. Um, so I said, oh, all right, this is great. So I reported it to the client. And then I uh, I made a com- an application for an open commission. And I, and I actually paid for the plaintiff because I had to, to go down to Texas so we could take this man's deposition. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I, ha- I paid for a videographer because, look, this was the whole case. It was over, right? I had – and before we even went down there, I had the man draw a diagram, a whole nine yards. Okay. But he was far away, so it was hard to keep going back to the man, although we did what we thought we could. Right. So we get down there. We do the deposition. It's on video. The direct examination goes great. He says everything he's supposed to say. He points to the, he points to the place on the stairs as opposed to the platform where the guy was. I turn it over to the plaintiff's attorney with nearly a smirk on my face. Figure that's it. <laughs> so the first question out of the box was, Mr. So-and-so, have you ever been convicted of a crime? Well, I'm fairly confident when the question's asked because we checked and it was supposed to be no. And the guy says, yes. Okay. Oh, my goodness. So, okay. Now I was like, all right, where's this going? All right. And so they asked, well, what have you been convicted of? And they said, child molestation. Yeah. So I said, whoa. Now, of course, I'm trying to maintain a very, very composed view because <laughs> I'm trying on video. not to look surprised. Yeah, not video. And then, of course, there is some more questions that got asked and the guy gets completely tripped up and he says, well, uh, I don't know really if he was on the step and then maybe he was up on the platform and things like that. So the entire trip out to Texas was, you know, to be uh, to be kind was a complete waste of time and ex- and even counterproductive. And but a lot of money is, is that in that case, OK, clearly a man who came from one of these places of, and he wasn't obviously he wasn't a good guy in his own way. But, you know, we know that. But he's one of these guys that came from a place where he had a. I, I believe had, a, you know, it came from an authoritarian background where initially telling my investigator, telling me exactly what we wanted to hear. And we didn't even go over the facts of the case with him mm-hmm. up front. And right. he was he was he was smart enough to know he outsmarted us. OK, so but how- then when it came down to the point where we were in, when we were in a court proceeding. All right. He, he fell apart and now, now it was at the place where he's either got to tell the truth or, or, or he's, you know, got to court line and he, and he panicked and he started, he started deviating from the story. Right. Um, I have another one, uh, which comes to mind that involves the damages side of the equation. In this case, we were representing an overnight package delivery service, a, ma- a major one. Um, and it involved a case where there was a traffic accident and a bicyclist was killed. He was um, run over by the rear wheels of the truck. A very tragic case. But every indication that we had from our early investigation was is that the man was, was instantly killed by the accident. There was going to be no way to prove any sort of lingering conscious pain and suffering, which is a huge component in the case. Right. Okay, because 
if a person if a person were to be killed, even if there is liability and we're not saying there was or there wasn't. But if there is a person was killed instantaneously, at least as to the claim of that person, it's really going nowhere because, you know, there's going to be no claim for conscious pain and suffering. Okay. so we we, of course, we get to the immediately get to the driver of the vehicle. And again, he was a person that, you know, if you knew, if you saw his background, same thing, came to this country, was a hard worker, uh, very admirable guy. He was scared. Um, he came from a place where I'm sure that if you if you told the police or the government the wrong thing, you would be in a lot of trouble. Right. right so right, right. he tells us on one of the questions I asked this man, I tried to get his conference and I said, do you did you when you got out of the truck and you, you knew there was an accident, and you got back around to the truck and you looked at the bicycle and where this this man was lying on the ground. Did you ever see him? Did you talk to him? Did he say anything? Did he scream? Did he did he shake? Did he rattle? Did he roll? Did any of that stuff? And it was no, 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 no. OK. Mm-hmm. And he assured me of that. All right. But of course, there, there was no video. There was no video surveillance on any cameras in the street that picked it up. So this is an this is obviously a very important witness. Right. Um, but it got to the point where the deposition happened in a, in, a, in a lawyer's office and it was a very high, you know, really good attorneys questioned this man. And they got to the point where they asked the question, when you got out of the truck, Mr. So-and-so, um, tell us what, if anything, you saw about the condition of the man. Obviously, a question I couldn't object to, right? And uh, and he came right out and said, "Well, you know, I saw him shaking for about three or four minutes, and then um, you know, and 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 scream and and gurgling and all this other stuff. So, you know, it completely changed the 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 the, the defense perspective of right. the case. Right. Um. Obviously." A statement like that changes the evaluation of what you're going to do with the case, if you're going to take it to trial, if you're going to settle it, whatever you're going to do. But the lesson remains the same is that you sometimes maybe you can't even cure it, but you have to go back. You have to get whatever information you can get and and you have to take into account, you know, what it is the person's telling you and why they're telling it to you. Now, again, with this man with the package delivery truck. We didn't, I didn't sit down with this man and give him a, a dissertation on what the, you know, what the law was and, and what would be required. And my only ask that they tell me the truth. Right, right. But in his, but in his view, the truth had to be, he knew that it was better that if he told me that, yeah, I, I never saw the man move. It didn't look like there was any suffering at all huh. going on. He knew enough. Now he's not a lawyer. I don't think the guy graduated from grade school. Huh. Okay. Interesting. But here is an example of what I said earlier in the program is that it is important that a lawyer not over, you know, believe so much and say, because you've gone to college, because you've got three years of law school, because you have this experience that somehow your sophistication level is, is higher than the people that you're talking to on a formal level. It well may be so. But here's a person that had no legal training, no legal background at all. OK, he was a guy that was hustling very hard to make ends meet. But he knew exactly, exactly what it would be if he said it would be pleasing to me mm-hmm. in terms of that. I was defense counsel for both him and the, and the package delivery service. And it was later on when it came down to so-called I hate to use it because it's a truck case when the rubber hit the road. Okay, but that's exactly what happened when he got in there. And now it was time to tell his story in an official forum. Now he now he wasn't so now now he had a completely different story to tell. 
And, and you, so, you, what, go ahead. so do you think the person gets intimidated? Is that what you think happened with him? I think what happens, Francie, is is that the intimidation is is a double edged sword. It's it's the question of when it happens. All right. right. Yeah. And 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 when you first approach a person, okay, and they tell you something, okay, they have a certain degree of fear, and then so they anticipate what the right answer is. They're able to figure it out sometimes as in this, this man's condition with no legal background at all. He knew what the answer would be. That would be best for me. But then he's really just hoping that this all goes away. But because he's such an important witness, there's no possibility of him going away. He's told the critical story. So then when you talk about intimidation, well, it's more of the fear factor down the road where now, the person's either on the witness stand in a courtroom, you know, a formal courtroom with a judge and a jury, right. or yeah. you're in a lawyer's office and, and the, you're in a situation you can't control. And now the person's thinking, they know darn well what they said before, but they're thinking, you know what, now I better, I better, I better really give it up because now it, if I say something and it's wrong, it's, you know, the, the stakes are higher for me. And that's what the person's calculating at each time, okay. what the stakes are. Okay. For them when they give the statement that they're giving. All right. And we need so, to take another break, Joe. Yeah. Okay. Stay tuned for more from Attorney Jim Burke in a couple of moments. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Attorney and former police officer Jim Burke has been giving us an inside look at interviewing witnesses and some of the pitfalls. But let me let me mention here, Jim, uh, you are with the legal team of Wilson Elser, if you mentioned, and you folks are the ones who represent the insured on claims for Brownyard programs. That's correct. 
Brown Yard Programs is the endorsed insurance provider for the National Council of Investigation Security Services, NCISS, who uh, represents um, private investigators and security professionals. And they are also the sponsor for this show. So if you're an investigator, a security professional, and you're interested in insurance for your business, go to www.brownyard, B-R-O-W-N, Y-A-R-D, programs.com, brownyardprograms.com. Okay, so um, as I mentioned on the, on the ask you on the break, a seasoned investigator would say to you, how in the world, because I know you've already told me in the past, you have a great investigator, how in the world did the investigator miss the sex offense on the first case? Sure, well, absolutely, and, and he, is a, he is a great investigator. I have all the faith in the world in him, but what I think happened in the case is this. This, this witness um, had another job where he, I, I turned out he was the manager in a fast food restaurant. And I think what it was, it turned out, is that he had gotten uh, some co-worker who was a, a, a minor, maybe not, I think, 16 or 17 years old, but still a minor, gotten her pregnant. And uh, he was arrested, uh, but I, I suspect greatly that the uh, – the, there was no cooperation in the criminal prosecution. Mm-hmm. I also suspect, suspect greatly that this is one of the reasons why he lo- relocated from New York down to Texas. Oh. Um, <laughs> but what ended up happening was that because there were, it didn't go anywhere, the prosecution, um, there was no conviction recorded. Uh, right. Probably the man pled out to some sort of violation or whatever, but it wasn't recorded. And so this is a person there again. Here's a person that he's asked a question. He doesn't really know, or maybe he did or he didn't, didn't know the difference between an arrest and a conviction. So we're asking him, you ever been convicted of a crime? Uh, he's no, never been convicted of a crime, don't know. But it turns out that uh, he he's not convicted of a crime, but when he's asked the question at the deposition, he's answering it based upon whether he was ever arrested. Right. And, and he coughs that up. So the whole thing is there. So, you know, you have to do your due diligence. Sometimes it, it actually it doesn't work out. But I think that I do believe firmly that going back as much as you can um, and just, you know, taking the certain cautionary notes that these cases that I've mentioned and the one that you mentioned um, that bring is that, you know, you certainly let me let me be very clear that I'm not saying that anybody should ever look askance <coughs> For one reason or another, that people will come from from other places. Right. But I think you have to be able to look at something, <clears throat> excuse me, through the prism of the person that's giving you the information, and what are their motivations? What are they afraid of? And if you feel for some reason that they're associating you with authority, and and that's a bad thing for them, and maybe a very bad thing for them based on their background. You must take the highest care to make sure you're getting the right story because you could be going down the wrong track in your investigation and you could think that you have something <coughs> all sewn up that you don't. Well, and maybe actually, Jim, you you might even have to assume that's where they're coming <coughs> from because, I mean, we all know of people that um, an investigator, investigator goes out and talks to somebody and they clearly identify who they are, but yet the witness – calls the DA's office or calls whoever oh, and yeah. says, uh, there's this police officer just here or somebody from the DA's office was just here, and it, it's just not true. Right. But they make that assumption because you're in an official 
status. That's, that's correct. That's what I said. That's what you and Francie, you and I said in the beginning is that, you know, people, you can tell people certain things, but number one, that, you know, you, you might not necessarily get them to buy into what you're saying about who you are in the beginning and that they're, they are co-op, you know, they're, they're going to talk to you, but they're thinking, wait a minute, this person said they're a private investigator. I, I don't know what that means. I, I, right. I, I they're working for the police. Yeah. Yeah. They work for the DA's office. I, I better check that out because that's where they're really from, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the and the other thing you said I I think is really important is, uh, I guess you have to really get uh, on a personal level with him. And maybe in the case with the guy that had the sex offense, maybe yeah. if I'm just kind of regrouping here, maybe if the question had been asked differently instead of. You know, do you have any criminal convictions or, or maybe that wasn't even asked? I don't know. But if you have any cr- criminal convictions, maybe just say, you know, have you ever been – did anything ever happen where you were arrested yeah. or whatever, however you word it right. to get into that area? And, yeah, and when you do that, you know, if there's nothing to back it up, you hope they tell you the truth. Right. But, you know, as I said, you have to proceed with caution. This is being both an investigator and both an attorney, you know, you certainly have to – zealously as an attorney represent your client. And if you're working with an attorney as an investigator, you know, you have to go out there and you have to really be diligent. It's important. You want to go out there. You want to get the information. But all, all the cautionary note I'm telling you is, is that you, you must always look at the information you get through the view of the person that's giving it to you. Um, and they may have other motivations. They may be scared. They may associate you with something that's bad from their own background and they just – and it's maybe just the human reaction that we all tend to have. If there's a problem, you sure. want to kick it down the road and, and, you know, maybe I'll never have to deal with it if I just don't deal with this now. I'm going to tell this guy what he wants to hear to make him go away. Sure. You know? Well, do you have any last thoughts you want to leave with folks? I mean, there's a lot of people listening to this program that aren't private investigators or attorneys. So what do you have for them? Um, just just that, uh, you know, certainly that, you know, diligence Going back, uh, when you get something that's really important, I'm not telling you not to not to believe in it, not to think it's important, but that you go back and that you that you look again and that you check from other sources and that you just don't look at things in life on a flat plane. You know, we live in a, we live in a three dimensional world, and that's something that should be accepted because when people go from just giving you a statement, either to a lawyer or an investigator, and then they're put into a real arena, be it a trial you know, be a trial or a deposition or something where they're in a place where they can no longer control the environment. They're not at their house. They're not in the street. They're in a mm-hmm. courtroom. There's a court officer there. They're thinking that if they say something wrong, they're going to be taken away and never see their family again or something like that. <laughs> that's what's going, that's what's yeah. going through their minds. Well, and I think you're, I think the word that you used, arena, is exactly what we're talking about. It is going to a court of law or even a deposition is an arena. It is. It's a it's it's a play on all kinds of things right. that unless you've been through it, you don't know you know, you don't know what's which is going to come from what direction. Exactly. Interesting. Well, Jim, you've been as always. I love talking to you. Or delight to talk to. <laughs> we have a lot of fun. And I just want to say my guests in the next upcoming weeks are next week is Nebraska death row exoneree Jeremy Sheets. And following weeks are uh, private investigators Jennifer Maganay and David Sullivan. Then Joey Piscatelli, who is a person who received damages for being a 
abused by a priest is going to be with me in November. So that should be a really interesting show. So again, tune in next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening and thanks, Jim, for being with me today. Thank you very much for having me, Francie. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.